Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors, and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're going to talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing. And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm so glad you came back because I can't wait to share today's episode with you. I was introduced to Emily Winslow recently by another writer friend, and I couldn't believe our paths hadn't crossed yet. Not only is she a crime writer, but she's also a writing teacher, and she just published a guidebook for writers that's a must-have for any writer's bookshelf. And she's really just a great person to sit down with and have a real conversation about writing. Here's a bit more about her. Emily Winslow is the author of a series of crime novels and a memoir. Her books have been published by Random House, HarperCollins, Allison and Busby, and Shanghai Translation Publishing House. Her novels have been called Brilliant, Vivid, and Dazzling. Her memoir, Jane Doe January, is, quote, meticulously constructed and ultimately terrifying. She grew up in the U.S. and now lives in Cambridge, England, teaching for the University of Cambridge and for Cambridge Creative Writing Company. So we have a really great conversation about not only crime fiction, but also writing in general, writing mindset, writing practice, and writing community. So I think you're really going to love Emily. So let's jump in. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Get Writing. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great to have you. So I'm really excited to chat with you because it's we have a lot in common. We're both authors. We both write crime. We both teach writing. So this is this is going to be really fun for me. So we both love cats. Yes. I think you almost forgot the cats. I almost part. forgot the cats. <laughs> <laughs> How could I? <laughs> So tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm an American. You can tell from my accent, but I live in Cambridge, England, uh, which is an absolute delight. Uh, All my books that I've written uh, are set here, my novels. And also uh, I now teach here. 
uh, at the University of Cambridge and for Cambridge Creative Writing Company. And that's where uh, the book that you're interested in came from. It's, it's the collection of everything that I have learned about writing from teaching. Mm, that's awesome. Before we get into that, I got to ask, how did you wind up in England? Because I really have like a secret dream that I'd love to just move to London and <laughs> live in a flat and just forget about the U.S. for a while. <laughs> I'll tell you, my best friend, when we were both in college, she had a semester abroad here at Cambridge and met this cute PhD student, got a total crush on him, wrote me all these letters about him. This is like pre-email. You know, these are actual physical letters that I still have. And then at the end of that term, she decided that I would be better with him than she was. And she spent the next five years trying to set us up, which was really hard because we lived in different countries. And finally, after five years, she got us in the same room together and we got married eight months later. Oh my gosh. And, you know, and he's English and he, so here we are. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Why don't you write romance novels? Because that's like an awesome <laughs> plot for one. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's so sweet. We should have you come back on Valentine's Day and tell that story in greater detail. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so did you start writing before you started teaching, or did you start teaching before you started writing? Writing first. Um, and when I started teaching, eventually, you know, I was just using everything I had learned from my own experiences, my own projects, and of course, from things that I had read other, other writers say about their work styles and, and whatnot. Um, but I really, it was just, amazing how much I learned from seeing what topics got the students really excited, which were sometimes just things I was mentioning in passing, you know, but they were really excited about them and other topics that I thought would like be, you know, world changing and that that just didn't catch. And it was just such an interesting process. And I think the biggest lesson I learned is that writing classes typically um, help people be, write very good scenes and write very good short stories. And those are fantastic skills. I mean, you know, there's no, no shame there. But when I would see my students try to put their scenes together in novels, I realized the skills they were missing hmm. and that weren't being taught when we focused only on scenes instead of larger projects, which of course is just, this isn't because, you know, no one noticed this before. This is because in a writing class, inherently scenes are what you can look at. Mm. You know, you can look at a scene and, and discuss how well that scene works. You can assign a scene for homework. You can read aloud somebody's scene in class. You know, it's dealing with the much larger scale stuff is, uh, is difficult. And it was just fantastic trying to creatively come up with ways to help people learn those other skills as well, not just the scene writing skills, the short story skills, which are incredibly important and wonderful, but also those long form skills. And so it's, it's just been so fun these past seven years trying to figure out for myself, what is it that makes a good novel? What is it that's not working when it's not working? Hmm. Um, so yeah, that, 
fascinates me. Yeah. So are you teaching specifically crime, how to write a crime fiction novel or a broader fiction novel or something um, else altogether? Yeah. When I started, I was teaching um, just novel writing for any genre. Uh, and then I started teaching genre specific courses with crime. Um, but honestly, even with crime, there are so many subgenres, and also, you know, just being like literary and and kind of non-genre with it. Yeah. Um, that I don't feel like there's anything formulaic. Do you know what I mean yeah. about it? Like, this is how you write a detective novel, and it doesn't apply to anything else. It's like, no, no, this is just how you tell a story, and the stories that my students tell happen to have murders in them, uh, but. You know, that's, I, and in the book, I, I often used examples from my lectures that sometimes were for the crime students, but I always fill them with examples from different kinds of books uh, so that you can see this isn't, sometimes, you know, a detective is a, is a really clear example, but, you know, these examples, they can apply to all kinds of stories. Yeah. I love that. Cause I'm just actually working through my first um, digital course on how to write a mystery. And, you know, it's, nice. I don't know if, if you felt this way when you started teaching, but you know, I've, uh, so I'm wrapping up my 18th published novel right now. So clearly I've done this wow. a few times. Right. But when That's I, sat down, <laughs> when I sat down to write this or, or to start outlining this course, like I really had to stop and think like, how do I, do this? And of course, right now I'm having a, how do I yep. do this moment? Because I'm trying to finish this book and it's not getting, you know, it, like there were some pieces <laughs> that just weren't clicking. So I started to really wonder like, how do I do this? <laughs> but I think I've solved that problem. But I did have to really stop and think like, how do I put a story together? How do I put a series together? Right? So I don't know, did you have to kind of really think think about and pull out each piece as you, or, cause it's, I think the things that come so naturally to us, it's really hard to articulate sometimes. Oh, hundred percent. And, but, but the more that we become aware of them, the more then that we can, you know, use those skills deliberately instead of just happening to use them because that's, that's what we do, but definitely, uh, yes. And I think what helped a lot was that, uh, part of one of the courses I was doing involved teaching from a lot of different books. And so it forced me to evaluate not just how do I do this, but how, how does this book we just read, that is wonderful. How did they do it? Hmm. Um, so I, I love that sort of thing. And you know, the, of, of all the books, I always said, whenever I was telling the students, you know, you need to read this book for the next session or for, you know, two sessions from now or whatever. Um, and I would always tell them, it's okay if you don't like it. You don't have to like every book. But even if you don't like it, you'll be able to gain something from the skill with which it was put together, even if this was not a, a book that really appeals to you. And so I was all, you know, was very free about it's, it's okay to not like it. And there is this uh, one book that so far every student has enjoyed. Everyone. Ooh, what is it's it? It's a crime novel. What is it? <laughs> in, a, in a Lonely Place by Dorothy B. Hughes. Oh. It's a noir from the 40s. And uh, it's just, it's delightful to read Noir written by a woman. I mean, I just can't tell you how refreshing, you know, that is. 
and what's what's so impressive about it i'm sorry i'm going on about this no i've never heard of it so now i'm gonna have to look it up (laughs) it's it's a it's about a, a man who kills women he strangles women and it's written in third person but it sticks super close to this character so close to this character that if you were in the middle of reading it and i said put down the book tell me what you know what point of view it's written in you would shout first person mm. <laughs> because that's that's how you feel you're just so in his head even though it's in it's in um third person but it, this may sound you know really uncomfortable people might say i don't want to be in a killer's head but remember this was written many many decades ago it's not graphic um it's just psychologically fascinating the female characters are amazing Mm. and um and they they do some some fabulous things and it's i think the most fascinating thing about it for me is the way that we only have access to what he observes and to his thoughts but even though he is wrong about the way he interprets the things he sees uh, and about what other people think. We, the readers, are able to look at the other characters' actions and what they say and realize they're onto him. Hmm. And I, I just think it's an absolute masterclass. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to pick that up. It sounds really good. Um, hmm. I always love finding out about books that I haven't heard of, and I don't know how I missed this one. It was made into a movie and I hear it's terrible. So, oh. or at least nothing like the book. Yeah. So. Well, that's usually the case, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So does, is part of your class um, teaching people, like, especially in your crime, when you're teaching crime specifically, are you teaching people how to really dig in and, and get into the, the psychological aspects of, you know, whether it's your killer or other, you know, other characters in your novel. Cause I'm, I love psychological suspense. It's fascinating to me. And, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And your, you have a lovely review from, or a blurb from Sophie Hanna that calls you a precise <laughs> and expert analyst of the darkest parts of the human psyche, which is high praise in my book. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you approach that? And how do you teach people how to approach that? Uh, first, I just want to say that is my favorite blurb because I am such a smiley person. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just find it so funny that I get to be a precise and expert analyst of the darkest parts of the human psyche. So that, that's, <laughs> that's very enjoyable. The way that it works for me when I'm writing is, and this is not just the psychology of, of dark motivations, Um, but also just just all the psychology of the characters is to look at a a piece of myself and exaggerate it Mm. until, you know, it's, it's like, um, it's like somebody else. So I, I can't relate to wanting to get revenge, but I can relate to being angry and feeling hard done by that sort of thing. So always starting from something I can understand, and then saying, well, what if it was just a bit more, a bit worse, if whether through circumstances or just through a lack of coping mechanisms or do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're all, we're all doing the best we can, most of us. And, um, 
And I, I like to have sympathy for all my characters. So I always try to start from, from understanding them and then just pushing a little farther uh, to get to writing the things that I can't personally relate to. Hmm. Uh, but I think all the students that I've had, I think the psychology has been their first interest. Yeah. And one of the reasons they always ask me on the first day, why do you write crime novels? And I have multiple answers for that. Uh, but one of one part of the answer is always that because I'm so fascinated by psychology and character relationships and, you know, and the beauty of words and the themes that are being expressed um, is that a crime plot or a mystery plot of any kind, really, when characters are working to figure something out, um, that I need that engine to keep me with plot mm-hmm. because plot is often the thing that, that is not my favorite. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike plot, but I'm so enchanted by other things uh, that it's very easy for me to kind of wander into the meadows Mm. (laughs) and having a mystery plot keeps me on track. We're trying to find something out. And, uh, and that's what I find with the students. They're naturally interested in the psychology but then we have to do um, quite a bit of teaching on plots. Yeah. And of course, it's, it's not, not everybody needs the same emphasis. Not everybody needs the same information. And so what I do in my classes, and, and the same as in my book, is I just, I, I teach them principles. And I teach them when these principles tend to be relevant. And, you know, here are questions you could ask when you run into these situations. But it's always about being as open as possible and as affirming as possible of the fact that we're all so different Mm -hmm. in where we're starting from, in what we need, in what we want our end product to look like. And so it's, it's just really important to me to do teaching, whether it's in a class or in the book, that is applicable that anybody can can make use of uh and then and then form into the thing that they need Mm. i love that and just one note about what you said about i I love what you said about um getting into the psychology and starting with something that you could understand so back in grad school before i realized i was going to be a crime writer because i love crime I was writing, I was in a short story class and I had a short story due, like, I think the next day, because this is how I operate. Clearly I'm very last minute and I didn't know what I was going to write about. And at that point in time, I had been going through this, like, kind of slightly hypochondriac phase. (laughs) And And I was like, well, what if like someone really let this, you know, take over their life and, and really like ruined them? And I mean, yeah. with just that little thread, I sat down, I wrote the short story that was actually pretty funny and it ended up getting published later on. But um, yeah, it was like, it was just that like, well, what if I really took this to the next level? And I came up with this really fun character from from there who didn't meet a very good end, but it wasn't related to any, <laughs> any real illness. <laughs> so. There. <laughs> 
me. So, all right. So let's talk about your guidebook. So in, along with your crime writing, you've also written a memoir, but most recently you've written a guidebook for writers on yes. how to write and how to kind of get into the mindset of writing, which I love. And I really want to talk about because, um, that's one of the things that I teach a lot too, is mindset and how that's just as important as any skill or talent that you can have as a writer. So tell us about that. Uh, this book, it is called Time to Write, and it is, uh, it's basically everything I have learned from the past seven years of how to, to teach writing and, and what, what to teach and, and what works well. And the thing that I start with, uh, the first chapter, is the thing that readers most mention to me. Uh, as being the thing that has impacted the most, which makes me very happy. Uh, and it's, it's the chapter on daydreaming. Mm. Uh, because, you know, discipline is important. I'm not suggesting at all that discipline isn't important. But the fact is, in our culture, discipline is already you know, lionized. It's already, you know, almost worshipped. And people know they're supposed to be self-disciplined. People know they're supposed to be working hard and getting up early and doing their writing then and this many words a day. I mean, goodness, people have been hit over the head with discipline uh, to the point that they feel, you know, that, well, I, I say they, we, we can end up feeling, you know, guilty and ashamed if, if we're not constantly on the typing treadmill producing words. And it was such a profound relief to me to realize that typing, or writing by hand, if that's how you write, is only one part of book creation. And there are so, so many others, and one of them is daydreaming. And it's not just that you're allowed to daydream. You are required to daydream. Without daydreaming, I don't think you can write a book. Mm -hmm. You need to, to have that you know, open mind that's wandering and wondering, thinking, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. And so the first chapter is about you know, if what you did today was daydream, then you worked on your book. And, and you can check that off on your to-do list and you can be proud of yourself and you can carve out time in your schedule for daydreaming and protect it. You know, you can say, this is important. This is, this is how I work. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a huge relief to me. And I'm, I'm so delighted to hear from people who have been reading the book that it is a huge relief to them as well. I love that. I mean, I can't even tell you how much I love that because I can be one of those people where, you know, it's almost like people talk about toxic positivity today. It's like, there's also oh, toxic yes. productivity, right? I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> a little wild how we beat ourselves senseless if we're not constantly just churning out work. I do it to myself too. And it's funny. I think when we were talking before the podcast, I was telling you, um, I have a membership site for writers and we're out when we get together and we do, you know, quiet writing time. And, you know, sometimes people come back and say, oh, I did okay. I wrote, you know, X amount of words, 
But then I was thinking a lot and it was, it's almost like the, the <laughs> thinking is a bad thing. And I said, well, that's, that's still writing, you know, and like people Absolutely. don't get that. But also I do that too. I'm like, oh, I only wrote, you know, one scene today and this book is due and I need to write 15. Right. But also <laughs> I've been untangling things that have been tangled. And if I don't do that, I can't write the missing scenes because they're not going to work. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Hi, this is Julian, the producer for the Get Writing Podcast. Zencaster is an extremely important part of our workflow on this show. Podcasting has you working with a wide range of people who all have different computer and office setups, different levels of comfort with technology, and different levels of time and patience. Zencaster takes this big logistical headache and makes it utterly trivial. No more grappling with recording software, waiting for files to be delivered, losing files, none of that. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. If you've ever thought about podcasting and thought that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform. You can create your show all in one place and then distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and all the other major destinations. Go to Zencaster.com pricing and use our code writing, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So how did you get in the habit of um, scheduling, if you did, daydreaming into your writing schedule? <laughs> well, part of my daydreaming includes uh, the transition phase into my writing mind. What I was observing, because I'll, I'll tell you, I started writing my first novel, my first published novel, when our younger child was six months old. So you can, that's a, you know, a busy time. <laughs> and so I would schedule with my husband these very specific lumps of time where he would have the babies and I could write. And so there I am with a four hour lump and I had the expectation that I would then write for four hours. Mm. <laughs> and I never, ever, ever achieve that. Yeah. It, it just, it just simply didn't happen. And I was, I was spending like the first half of my time, you know, I was watching videos on YouTube and I was, you know, reading blog posts that interest me. I was kind of just following my nose. Like, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and just, you know, and I, I just couldn't jump in right away. I needed this, this slow transition. And while that's going on, in the back of my mind, I would be, as you say, untangling things, you know, and maybe at the end of two hours, I'd be like, that's the answer. You know what I mean? And I wasn't even necessarily spending those two hours, you know, staring at the problem and, and focusing on it, but it's, it's there. I'm thinking about it while I'm watching Murder, She Wrote or whatever I've, you know, yeah. light thing I've, I've got going on. And what I realized was this is working as designed. Mm -hmm. I'm not being defective when I spend two of the hours, you know, gradually getting into it and then two of the hours writing. That's, that's just how my brain works. And so, you know, for me, it was, I, I, I worked then the same way I work now, 
but I don't feel guilty about it. Mm. I love that. I love when we can get rid of the guilt. <laughs> I'm still trying Indeed. to learn how to do that. So, uh, uh, Lifetime of work. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I love the idea of being able to give yourself permission to try something new. And especially like, I think we, you know, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Like you just said, you had a certain amount of time that you didn't have your kids. So you had to make the most of it. You know, I have friends who are like, well, I got to get this book done because it's my only source of income right now. Like whatever it is, where yeah. there's always yeah. some sort of pressure that we're like, I have to be amazing and perfect and do it all today. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And also our idea of what perfect is. Yeah. Another thing that I had to, to come to grips with, you know, you've written, uh, you've written 18 published novels, which is fantastic. Um, and I have written, uh, how many? I've written, I have six books. I have six books. <laughs> and for me, a book takes about two years, mm. you know, give, give or take. That's, that's what it takes. And part of that is just, it's the only way I know how to do it. And also part of that is that's the way I want to do it. For me, really digging in and spending time and having the time to change things I might discover I want to change and Really, you know, for me, that those two, those two years are are a gift. It's how I enjoy writing and enjoy living. But yeah, I do sometimes feel like I'm letting people down by not being a book a year writer. Um, and some of my friends have two series, and they're a two book a year writer. Mm. <laughs> and you know, it's. It's just, it's been a process, but part of that process has been not just me learning to respect myself and just the way I am and, and appreciating the way I am, but also that I've been surrounded by wonderful people like Sophie Hanna. She and I are writing partners. We have completely different work styles. Mm. Um, but the respect that she gives to my work style without any judgment of my productivity, I was like, well, I need to learn to be as kind to myself as other people are to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's very profound. So how do we, how does someone do that? How does someone start? And, and I think what I'm hearing you say is it's a combination of mindset, which is super important, but also yeah. community there. I, I believe really strongly that writers, because we spend so much time alone, we need a writing community around us and people who support us and people who get on some level, right? They don't have to be, like you said, the same style of writer or even the same genre of writer, but somebody who understands what it's like to have to write something. Absolutely. And that's another thing that I learned through the teaching experience because I'm, I'm so used to thinking of writing as a solitary activity. And in some ways, I, I genuinely think I might've become a writer because I'm an introvert <laughs> and it's, you know, when you tell, you know, when it, when it's, you know, holiday time and the family's all there and you say, you know, well, I need to go take a couple of hours to uh, mm. be alone in that room over there. They don't understand that. But if you say, Oh, I need to work for two hours. Everybody's like, Oh, go, go, you know, yeah. They respect the productivity, right? So I, my focus as a writer used to be on this is how I justify and get permission for solitude because by, by going away into this room and producing something, then I'm, I'm, I'm 
earning my right to have solitude. Now, introverts should not have to earn that right, but anyway, yeah. this is the world we live in. Um, but wait, wait, we were talking about, this was a lead-in. <laughs> we were talking <laughs> about community. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. Now, there are two things that are going on. Now that I am teaching um, some new classes that I'm teaching, uh, that aren't crime-focused or novel-focused. They're more focused on uh, exercise and feedback. And just, it was, it was a class we created for writers who had gone through our instructional classes to still have a reason to get together and be creative together. Because sometimes you finish the course and you're like, oh, now not only am I losing the teacher, I'm losing all, the, all my classmates. So we, so we started these classes where we just run exercises and everybody shares and we, we talk about each other's work. And it's just really helped me to notice how much of the writing process doesn't have to be solitary. Because, you know, yes, the, the typing phase, you know, um, unless you're, you're body doubling and you have somebody writing alongside you, maybe that, you know, that's whether that counts as like two individual solitudes in the same room or, or company, I don't know. But other phases, I always try to point out to my students when we do an exercise, like a plotting exercise, and they have so much fun. And I say, so how much fun that was, you can do that with some people you trust when when you hit a problem with the plot of your novel, you do not have to do, you know, all of this alone. So I always try to point out those things that can be shared. And I really think that confidence, right? And, and to be an author takes a degree of confidence. It also, you know, I mean, authors are often tremendously vulnerable as well. I'm not saying confidence, you know, overshadowing all vulnerability, but you need some confidence to think, yes, I'm going to put my words down on this page. My words matter enough to be recorded here. And, you know, so often you see advice about self-talk, and, you know, and mindset. And, and I, I do believe those things are helpful. But in my experience, trying to self-generate confidence is very, very difficult. And when you meet with other writers and you share your work, just your little bits of work, even just exercises that we just wrote in class five minutes ago, you know, but you share it and you hear people laugh in the right places and you hear them gasp at the surprises and, and they tell you the things that you're doing well that you weren't even conscious of, you know, that, that's a confidence that, I don't know, it goes deep, mm. it goes deep. And, and I just, I 100% believe that seeking out community of some kind and, and what kind of community is going to be helpful is going to be different for every person. What kind of community they have available is going to be different for every person. But help, finding other people who can be part of building your writerly confidence, uh, it's just such a beautiful and important thing. Completely agree. And I, I love your, your example about plotting with someone. So I have a good friend who, um, we blogged together. She's a fellow crime writer and I was, I never identified as a plotter, um, until I 
got a little stuck on a book and needed some help. And so we sat down and we had the first of what has now become a traditional, you know, plotting session for every time I start a book where she really helped me untangle my problem and plot out the rest of the book when I was like on a, again, on a really tight deadline. (laughs) This was a different book. (laughs) Um, but, and now like, I don't like to start a book before I have that, that even just that initial conversation of, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is my setup. These are, this is my dead person. I need some suspects and kind of going back and (laughs) forth, right. And talking it through. And then I do find that that not only gives me a path to start from, but it's also like, I get excited about it. And then, you know, she's like, Oh, and what if this, and then she's getting excited about it. And like, then we, it just, it is, it's really, it's much more fun than sitting there staring at a page thinking, Oh, I I don't have any new ideas. (laughs) Yes. Yes. hundred percent. So when, when my kids were, were tiny, because as I said, the, when I started the, the, the younger one was six months old and the older one was five. Um, I used to, because, you know, it it was, it was hard to, you know, leave them alone. So when my husband would help me with things, uh, you know, when we, he would drive, I don't, I don't drive in in the UK. Um, when we would need to drive places, we would take the kids. And I remember we would go on like, let's find where these characters could dump a body. (laughs) (laughs) Did did the kids help with that? (laughs) Yes, they did. They did. And we would talk about, you know, like, well, you know, they want it so that the body doesn't get found, you know, but it needs to be, but think about it. When are they putting the body there? Are there people around? Is it difficult to not be? I love it. (laughs) That's the right way to raise a child. (laughs) So, you know, people can help. Yes. Even five-year-olds. I love it. That's amazing. We didn't do it when he was that young. Okay. <laughs> Still, it's a good Let's way to, to eight or training. Nine. Eight or nine. Good training. Is he is he also <laughs> wanting to be a crime novelist now? <laughs> oh my goodness! No, he he is very much a um, a a computer person. Mm. Um, but I've always said that you know, okay, you say you're a computer person now, but you know, someday you're going to have a midlife crisis and want some time off. And I bet you're going to write a novel because mm. they both do. They both actually have just a beautiful way with words in different ways. And so neither of them is setting out to become a novelist, but it would not surprise me uh, if, if one or both of them did include that in their life. Oh, that's very cool. Um, I want to go back to crime novels for a minute because we had talked about when we, again, when we were talking before the podcast um, about your love for puzzles and how that really drove you into the whole crime novel genre. So talk a little bit about that because I think that's really fascinating. Thank you. So uh, when I was, when I was a little girl, I bet you didn't expect I was going to go back to the 1970s, but here we are. Uh, my dad was a lawyer and not the fascinating kind of like courtroom lawyer. He was a contracts lawyer for, I think, an insurance company, mm-hmm. which is as boring as it sounds. I, I mean, I mean, <laughs> no shame to all the contract lawyers for insurance companies that are on <laughs> listening to this right now. But uh, it just anyway, he was a creative person and it he did not like this job. And when I was little and keep in mind, I'm, I'm the youngest. 
uh, of four and I was the little one at the time and he just hit the wall where he could not just day after day spend his life doing this thing that he found boring. And so he quit and he set up a workshop in the basement and he started designing board games and puzzles. Oh, wow. And that was his way because I was the youngest. I got to be his helper. And so I just grew up helping him test uh, his games and puzzles. And I love the the attitude that he brought to when he would play games with me. He was never trying to win. He was just fascinated. He wasn't not trying to win. He, it wasn't an age thing like he was trying to like help me out. But he just wanted to test how the game worked. So he was doing his best and I was doing my best, but he never minded if he lost. He would just be like, fascinating. <laughs> I wonder what it is about the way you played and the way I played that made you the winner and me the loser. Let's think about how this game works. So needless to say, I, I grew up with puzzles and, and games as a, as a profound part of my life. And my first writing job ever uh, was writing logic puzzles for a national magazine wow. uh, in America called Games. And it's a, a magazine that I'd read since fourth grade. Uh, so that's the, you know, like, gosh, you know, mid, mid to late 70s there. And it's still being published today, wow. <laughs> uh, which is amazing. And I wrote for them for six years and you'll understand what this is like as a creative person. They were incredible. You know, when I, when I first started out, when they, when they said I could submit something, I, I stayed as close as I could to the standard form of logic puzzle that they tended to publish. Obviously, I was trying to, you know, live up to that. And then gradually, I just started sort of putting more of myself into it and putting more story into it because I noticed that in the standard logic puzzle, the clues would be in a list. And I thought it's much more interesting if you just embed them in the story and make the person find them, you know? And another thing with logic puzzles is you were just told that you were supposed to figure something out, but they didn't give you a reason why you needed to figure something out. So I started more storyizing, I guess, uh, my puzzles. And as they trusted me, they just kind of let me do what I do. And then it got to the point where they would just say, hey, Emily, you know, which issues do you want in the upcoming year and how many pages in each? Uh, and, and just let me really, really, really be creative, which was an incredible gift. And, you know, just once I, I finally got to the point where one of my last puzzles was seven full color magazine pages long. And it was all, you know, like diary entries and letters. It was all like pieces of evidence you could find if you wanted to solve this mystery. And um, it was just very natural, you know, at that point to say, well, I, I think, I think it's time to, to think, I don't, I don't mean think bigger as in better because puzzle writing is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, bigger as in longer. Yeah. I want to write longer stories. Um, and so, yes, that's when I, that's when I wanted to, uh, that's when I faced that direction. And it was a very natural transition, I think. Mm. Oh my God. That's such a unique way to get into the genre. I love that. Did your dad, what did your dad <laughs> think of that job? Oh, 
when I got my first book deal, which was with Random House, and I am so lucky because, you know, it's <laughs> it's getting book deals. It's, it's never a given. And uh, when I called up my parents to tell them uh, I got my dad first, mom must have been at work. And I'll never forget, dad said, this is the proudest I've ever been, except for the day I married your mother. Aww. Isn't that lovely? That is really lovely. <laughs> that is really lovely. Aw, very sweet. So what would you leave any new writers with who are aspiring to go into any kind of writing, really, but, you know, uh, we're, we're talking to a lot of crime writers that listen to this, I think. So what would you talk, what would you tell them if they're just starting out, they're maybe feeling a little daunted by this whole process and, you know, the outcomes and all of the things that we worry about yep. before we even get started. <laughs> uh, read what you love. Think about why it works Think about what, what you're drawn to in it and think about what you want to add to that, to that group of books. And it could be that you want to add something different that you say, I want to write a, you know, a book that's, you know, very similar to, to this type of books, but with this one big change, you know, where the leading character is a woman instead of a man or the, the you know what I mean? Or just w whatever change is important to you or, do you know what? Some people just say, I want to write a book that fits in to this, you know, this, this form that has meant so much to me. And there are never enough books out there. I'm always, you know, I've always read all of them at the library and I'm waiting desperately for the next one. I just want to add to that. Both of those are, are great reasons, whether you want to like do something new or just keep something going. But the more you can articulate for yourself what you want, what you love, what what what's meaningful to you in the reading and the writing uh, desires? Uh, I think that's a great place to start. I love that. So tell everyone where they can find you and your books if they would like to buy them. Thank you very much. Uh, my website is it's easy emilywinslow.com. Uh, and you can find you know all, all the information about all of my books. Um, you can find them online everywhere. <laughs> uh, whether they're in physical bookstores or not depends on the physical bookstore, but you should uh, be able to order them in as well. Uh, but yeah, definitely look online, look on my website, um, Google me. I'm around. Awesome. And I'll put links in the show notes too, so people can find you. Emily, thank, thank you, you so much for being here. This was a really fun conversation. I'm so glad you came on the show. Thank you very much, Liz. Okay, what did you think of that? So I'm a huge fan of how Emily talks about her writing process and especially how she talks about accepting her writing process and not only just accepting it, but embracing it. I just really love this message because as I said during the conversation, it's one I think we all need to hear. I really believe as writers, we're always writing something in our heads. It's just owning that and getting out of the mindset that we always need to have thousands of words to show for our daily effort. I'm working on that. So I can imagine that others are also working on that same idea. 
But I'd love to hear what your takeaway is from this episode. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know or head over to kateconti.com and send me a message through my website. And if you haven't followed the pod yet, make sure you head over and do that on your favorite platform. It would really mean the world to me. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.